0: You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with... Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1981, not necessarily a classic, Hell Night.
1: Hell Night. Which, with the opening scenes, it is hellish. It is a hellish night. They've got that right. It does not look like anything near heaven to me.
0: You've got teens. You've got wet t-shirts. You've got hooting. you' got hollering. You got hollering. Yeah. You've got public displays of affection. I know that is one of your triple threat no-nos. Just fucking DEFCON 1 type thing.
1: Yep. Drunk people. Drunk
0: people. Noise. Noise. Toilet paper.
1: (laughs) I don't have a thing against toilet paper.
0: But being thrown around. Oh my God. Kill me. (laughs) Someone
1: clean that fucking mess up. Yeah.
0: That's right. And you have... Costume parties. I don't think you hate costume parties. No,
1: I kind of like that. And there are scenes in this when all the teens kind of calm down a notch for a second, and I can just kind of revel in the fact that it's like almost like a Halloween night.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: It's not happening on Halloween, is it?
0: No, it's Hell Night. It's the day before Halloween. Devils. That's Devil's
1: Night. That's not Hell Night.
0: It's 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 like it's like saying soda and pop. Some people call it Hell Night. Other people call it Devil's Night.
1: And I guess that would happen. Like, school starts in September. So all the pledges would be taking place shortly thereafter. And, mm-hmm. But Frosh Week is... Hell Night is part of Frosh Week, which happens when school starts. Yeah. Well, I, I guess they can have a masquerade whenever they jolly well please.
0: That's right. They seem
1: to be doing whatever they jolly well please as it is.
0: That's true. And we have a different perspective on that type of college atmosphere. When I was in college, all I did was spend the entire time, listen, I was a young, impressionable teen. And even before I was a teen, I was, you know, a little lad of 8, 9, 10. It did happen, believe it or not.
1: Yeah, he wasn't a hatch from an egg no. at 15 at an AMC.
0: <laughs> fully formed. I used to watch a lot of, you know, The, the, the Standards, Revenge of the Nerds, Meatballs, That toga one, Animal House. I couldn't remember the name. toga one. (laughs) toga one, Animal House. And, of course, stuff that's a little bit more similar to, you know, American Pie and shit like that. And I just thought to myself, I can't wait until I am in the rip-roaring party atmosphere of a post-secondary education. And then when I actually got there, I got to the hallowed steps of my beloved Algonquin College. I just noticed how tired everyone was all the time and how no one really had time to do anything because they also had to work. And, you know, a lot of them had girlfriends or boyfriends and just other responsibilities. I'm taking care of my sick aunt and everyone is just so drained. They're so tired all the time. So there was no parties. There was no crazy fraternities or anything like that I was really fucking disappointed and the lack of fraternities even going to like a place like my friends went to Queens University in Kingston so I went there and I was like now we're talking and it was a little partyish, a little party-ish but it wasn't what I was looking for I was looking for that fucking hell night experience what
1: you want is an American Ivy League college in the 70s uh,
0: yes and I got a little bit of that when I visited my then girlfriend in New Jersey and she was going to Rutgers And that's a very prestigious, one of the oldest schools in the United States. And they had the straight up fucking fraternities everywhere with the goddamn Greek letters on them. Yeah, But it was just, it was quiet. No, school was out. So no one was there. So it was just very eerily calm. And I couldn't just, I couldn't imagine any of that. So I was very disappointed. Just life let me down. Movies make it seems like so much fun.
1: On the other hand, I was nothing but relieved when I attended college for the first time. And there was none of that. Yes, people owned cars. They were not Lamborghinis. There was not toilet paper hanging off the trees. There were no um, fraternity houses and things like that. Even the university that was attached to my first college, there was none of that. Everyone was very studious. And I was so relieved because I used Mm -hmm. to watch... Films like, like all the ones that you named, like, not seriously or like by choice,
0: like, it wasn't your religion, like, it was mine,
1: <laughs> exactly. And I would that's when I would turn to my parents and be like, Can I please go to a Catholic high school?
0: Please give me
1: nuns, give me uniforms, give me like classes in religion and different languages. I don't want Keggers and parties, which is sort of different because on my own time later on in life, I would definitely be fine at a punk bar. I'd definitely be fine at jam spaces, which is sort of like a fraternity league all of its own. But, and I was fine with like noise and, and parties and stuff, just not attached to my fucking school. That is not, those things are fucking separate.
0: You're a time and place lady. That's what I know best about you. I have social anxiety that's gotten worse over the years. And so my interest in being around crowds is not what it used to be
1: definitely diminished.
0: Yeah. And, and so when, but I still like to go to some things that are quite heavily populated. I still like to go to concerts. I love to go to punk shows and I love to go to cons. And I know that very busy cons can be very claustrophobic for for people, but to me, and even when I'm bumping shoulder to shoulder with people I'm not stressed out at all. And people can find that a bit of a paradox because they say, no, Wes, you say you don't like to leave the house and people freak you out. Yes, but like an old man settling into a a warm tub, cons are exempt from that. I just, I feel amongst my people. I feel, I know what, I know this is what I'm getting into. And I love going to cons so much that that does not bother me. Three hour lines don't bother me not being able to breathe, stifling under like BO doesn't bother, like does not bother me a fucking one iota. You do, you put me in the same scenario and I'm at like a grocery store. I will just explode like Katie Kaboom. There's a deep cut for people.
1: I don't know who Katie Kaboom is, but I do know that you have a background in radio, which is kind of feeds into that time and place where we can kind of turn it off and on. Uh And with the journalism, you know, if I can, you know, handle being at a convention or even a a not horror convention, any convention, throw me into any convention, but give me a fucking job to do, please. Mm. Then I can, uh, then I'm pretty much okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I don't have a job to do or if it's quiet time, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in that situation. So I have the same sort of reaction, definitely. So I can relate to that. Um, But that said, conventions. You ever see Linda Blair at a convention? (laughs) I've never, personally. I've never. I know people that have,
0: but So I have uh, met Linda, I call her Linda, no, I've met Linda Blair at a convention before, and man, what an interesting human being.
1: That's the sort of reaction I've gathered from other people, and I've also heard words like surreal, awkward, and Mm. dogs.
0: (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, Linda Blair... For horror fans, Linda Blair needs no introduction. This is one of the most famous horror actors ever because she was in one of the most famous horror movies ever. She is the star of The Exorcist and has done horror after that. But The Exorcist, I mean, that's going to outlive all of us. So, she's the type of person that demands a lot of attention at certain conventions. I met her. I got a a poster of The Exorcist signed. It's framed. It's hanging up. I love it. My interaction with her, and I've had various degrees of interaction with all kinds of people who have been in horror movies. Like I say, I love going to cons, and if there's a horror icon at a convention... You're damn right. I'm going to fucking wait in line. I don't care how long it takes.
1: From Tony Todd to Kane Hodder. Wes is your man. But like me on the other hand, I just hang back and I see them across the room. I'll be like,
0: hey, there's that person. Clyde Barker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some people like exceed your expectations. I mean... Uh, Kane Hodder was a, a magical exp- like I not even I'm fucking magical experience for I, me. I,
1: I believe him it and it was, you know.
0: It, it was yeah. it was a 20 minute a solid 20 minute conversation no one else in line cuz everyone in Ottawa is a fucking idiot and doesn't know true greatness. And w- he was just fucking so happy to uh, Robert England Freddy Krueger so, he is so on for a man of his age that energy you feel it off of him and just loves talking to fans. Tony Todd will fucking talk to you forever. Try to get away from him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. That's and some heard. people are curt with you because lines are long. And, and sometimes you think, to, like Bruce Campbell, super nice dude, likes to, will talk to you as he's signing stuff. But the conversation's over once you're done with the signing and the stuff. And he's like, all right. Don't, and he, he, but he's a very animated, very charismatic dude. I loved meeting him. Linda Blair. Wow. What do I say? So, sometimes when I'm meeting someone in a horror convention, I I don't want to just gush about, oh, my God, I loved you in The Exorcist. Of course I loved her in The Exorcist. That's why I'm fucking standing here. Yeah, and that's
1: what everyone else in line has to say, Exactly. and and, it's not, like, news to her.
0: And and so, I try not to say, like, I'm going to say something to Linda Blair that's going to fucking rock her world. I'm going to say something to her so when she walks away from this convention, she'll be like, oh, yeah, that... uh, Barney Rubble, motherfucker, standing at six foot three, he really impressed me. That's what I want. But I'm obviously I don't have the 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 moxie, con- the, moxie the pizzazz, however you want to <laughs> call it. I'm not that person, and I know that. So generally speaking, if it's a horror person who I don't really know what to say because their careers are so singular on this one thing, I'll just say, hey, what's up. How you doing? How's the weekend going? How you finding the con?
1: Which is probably to some people a refreshing.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's just a simple conversation because these things are a slog and yes, they're being paid to be there and a lot of them are getting paid a lot of fucking money to be there. But it's still a grind. You are meeting all kinds of fucking weirdos. You got to deal with all, the, all all kinds. You're signing things, it's monotonous and you're there for hours. So I get it. And, and again, if you've been doing the con circuit for a lot of times, you've been answering the same 10 questions for... 20 30 years sometimes. So, yeah, I get it. <laughs> With Linda, I I I didn't want to tell the story cuz it makes me it makes her sound crazy. But like I said, "Hey, how you doing?" And as she's signing my poster, she goes, "Well, it's just really hard to have a good time when you think about all the dogs suffering in the world." What's going on in the world right now with all these dogs? What?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I
0: was unaware of her activism.
1: of The Linda Blair Have a Heart Foundation?
0: Well, guess what? I became very knowledgeable about it because after she handed me my my thing back, she handed me some literature, some pamphlets and stuff. If I could do her a favor and go to this website and read up on this literature, I, I, I was like... I felt like I was meeting a Jehovah's Witness. But...
1: That's a, the exact sort of feeling that I've gathered, uh, not just from your story. And it's not, it doesn't make her sound crazy. She's dedicated. She has a platform. You know, I get it. Uh, Dave Pace, who had written a long time ago for the defunct and dead Fangoria magazine and has written from time to time for Remorgue and his own blogs and things like that and been on many podcasts. Um, he hosted a and a at a festival of fear, I believe. Yeah, I think and, it was a festival he didn't have you know it's it's that thing you have respect for her and she's a nice woman
0: yeah she's very nice
1: she is so it's not that you it's it's hard to say like hard to articulate you don't want to make her sound crazy yeah who does but she comes off as a little bit it's a little surreal and it is like encountering a born-again christian or someone who's trying to convert you a mormon or a jehovah's witness are great examples but on the other hand you also don't want to make her sound crazy because what she's talking about is, is very real. It is very real. Mm-hmm. And you do have a heart, Linda yeah.
0: Blair. Yeah. So,
1: but that's not what you're there for at that moment.
0: Yes. I, so I,
1: it's, it, it is surreal.
0: I walked away from that woman thinking, why did I just talk to her about dogs, though? <laughs> what was with the dogs? It's the magic of Linda Blair. And I was looking at the literature that she had handed me, and I was like, I guess I'll trash 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 like, i just i don't like what am i gonna do like i don't i don't even own a dog so like i, I, I but i i walked away from that conversation kind of thinking i don't i didn't necessarily feel, you know sometimes you know i when i waited for bruce campbell that was a three hour wait wow three dedicated. hour wait to meet or this something. man uh or crazy a different kind of crazy and when i walked away from that conversation i was like you know what I feel like that was worth it. And that's all that matters is I walked away from that situation feeling that my money and my time was well spent because there was that opportunity. And I got to chat with a dude that I admire a lot and whose movies meant a lot to me. And, and then I got to walk away from it and that's fulfilling to me and to many other people it's fulfilling. I walked away from that conversation. I wish she had just said she was fine. (laughs) Like just how you doing? I'm good. You enjoying the convention? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Just like small talk. I'll chit chat. I didn't like, I wasn't saying, I didn't want too much more than that. But it was so, fuck all that. It, it doesn't matter. She's a, she loves dogs, and that was my interaction with her.
1: She loves dogs. She loves animals in general. She'd been a vegan most of her life, from what I understand. She wanted to be a vet. She, she, yeah, this is a very deep seated thing within her. So, I mean,. It's just strange to use that venue to tout something completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. Although, from Linda Blair's point of view, it's all related because she's Linda Blair. But Linda Blair, if you're listening, because I know you are, uh, the Ontario couple found sickening conditions at a dog sledding facility recently. And this will touch the heart of Linda Blair and everyone else who has care for dogs and dogs that are being neglected. And this isn't the typical puppy mill situation, these are, are dogs that are, you know, dogs with jobs. I love dogs with jobs. And I love dog sledding. I love the idea They did a lot. I've been listening to a lot of the Laird Barron interviews on this Is horror, not only because of his writing, but mostly because of the husky dogs. Mm. I want to hear every time he says dog sledding or mm. musher, I get just excited because I'm, I'm interested in that. But yeah, there is uh, a Toronto Adventures Incorporated through Windruff Kennels of Moonstone, Ontario. Uh, apparently was offering a dog experience package or a dog sled experience package you we'll go get to meet the dogs and see what a dog sled, dog sled team life is like which sounds very interesting to me but apparently there was like 100 huskies just left in their own feces and chained up outside oh God. so they weren't very happy with that and then you could have some uh, proponents of that sort of treatment of dogs with jobs saying that that is how Huskies have lived and always lived in, in dog sled teams. So you have two minds there kind of colliding. So I'd like Linda Blair to go out there and sort them all out. That'd be great.
0: Yeah, and if she doesn't, or if they don't listen to her, she can just get fucking Pazuzu after them or something.
1: Yeah, she could piss on the floor in front of them.
0: <laughs> that's a hell of a way to get someone's attention.
1: It is. It is. It worked on <laughs> us, didn't it? Maybe that's... She could do that. I would listen to her talk about dogs if I could <laughs> if just... Sm- starstruck entirely because of the fact she just pissed on the floor she did it she did the thing that we know her for could you imagine like she could barf pea soup all over people and that would work too but it's so much more subtle and so much more like her dog friends to just just
0: piss yeah especially if she could you imagine if she got out at one of her q a's she just she walks out doesn't say a word just parts her legs and just fucking just lets the biggest pee go (laughs) And it, it hits that carpet with that pressure sound.
1: <laughs> it would work, um, but yeah, I've heard many people describe interaction with Linda Blair much the same, and mm-hmm. we get it, we get it, dogs,
0: dogs. Yeah, yeah. really, really. Uh, you know what? Other celebrities have done it too. Burt Ward, who is the original Robin on nineteen in nineteen sixty six Batman, he has a dog food company that talks about. Like how his dog food it like actually is very good, and I've listened to a Q and A Q&A with him where he just goes into this pitch for fucking he's fucking Billy Mays, just like fucking just talking about his dog food. So whatever, I don't know. People use their you got a microphone, you can talk about whatever you want.
1: I suppose so. I don't know. It's it's a fascinating though just to see that trajectory. Like we didn't talk much about Shelley Duvall when we were talking about The Shining. We did touch on like where her life is headed. Uh, in the past you know 20 years um but that has been all over the news and things we don't need to talk about her her mental decline Mm -hmm. um and we're not talking about a mental decline here just an interesting personality Mm -hmm. who has had a great career too she's been on the the hit show supernatural she's been on rupaul's drag race she's been on all kinds of stuff so she's kept working definitely Mm -hmm. but I've, i've noticed in this as well there's a little bit of a vacancy there like she's not the acting isn't interesting to her, I really would have loved to see this other reality where she did become a vet. That'd be yeah. so cool. She yeah. still can, Linda Blair. If you're listening, and I know, I know you are. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> Just go to school. Just go to school.
0: You still, you have the money and time to become the world's greatest veterinarian. I bet you. And and I, and I can guarantee you this, listeners. I don't think there's another human being on the planet that cares more about these animals that you would want looking after your pets than linda blair as a veterinarian Exactly. but it's it, if you listen to interviews with her uh, it, it definitely seems to be like i wanted to be a vet but they got swept up you get caught up in this idea of i'm a celebrity now i did this movie and i thought it'd be a one-off thing but all of a sudden you're with i don't know fucking hanging out with burt reynolds and rock hudson or whoever i don't know and then your life gets Changed And then that becomes kind of intoxicating because you like that life. And so you keep acting and that's what she did. But again, fuck all that. Because when I first saw Hell Knight, I didn't know any of this. No. I did not know anything. This is a West pick proper.
1: It is. It is. How did you describe it from the basement? The Alta Vista basement pick?
0: Yeah, it is a classic grimy Alta Vista basement pick. We are talking about wood paneling. Red carpets. The Nintendo plugged in. Empty
1: pizza box.
0: Empty pizza box. The fucking big coffee table with like. Magazines on the uh, on either side of them, all stacked up. Shag and, carpet. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We are talking about.
1: You got to turn the volume up because the sump pump might kick on.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And the laundry rooms right there, and uh, we've got a fucking deep freezer full of fudgicles and freezies. And
1: someone walks by that little well window, and you jump a little. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. forgot you're like, oh. you were down in the basement.
0: Yeah. Oh god, what was that? What was that? Yeah, and so, uh, so. I had this on VHS, and in fact, I still have this on VHS. Most of my VHS collection was lost because, by the way, gang, we also had a massive wall of VHS tapes. My father, when he first got a VCR, was obsessed with taping things off of the movie networks and pay-per-view and shit. And so we had that classic 80s VHS library of blank tapes that had three movies on them each. And they were all, the tapes were numbered, and they had a, we had a big red book, and the big red book was how you found things. Oh, I want to watch Jaws. And so you flip, and you flip, uh, okay, that's tape 127, and so you go and you find tape 127. That's how it worked. But then below that, I had dedicated shelves to horror movies that I bought specifically, because even then, I liked the covers and all that kind of shit, and I used to go to Chapters, which is a bookstore. Not a place where you would traditionally think to find VHS tapes. But not only did Chapters have a lot of VHS tapes, but they were fucking dirt cheap. And for some reason, got a lot of horror.
1: That's kind of crazy to me. It is really crazy to me. The bookstores where uh, the small town I grew up in did not have movies. Period.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It was rare to find a place where you could purchase movies.
0: Yeah, it was fucked up. But that was where I... We so there was the there was a future shop and the future shop had some horror, and I could also go to HMVs when they were still around in Canada and they had they had that, but they started to phase out VHS tapes fairly early as you would expect big chain stores to do. HMV held out for the longest, but one day I went into Chapters and that's where they just had this their horror section was immaculate. That's where I got Evil Dead 1 and 2. That's where I got Halloween. That's where I got the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Like, that's where I got all the biggies, all the, the formative horror films from my youth. That's what I got. And sometimes I would get random buys. I didn't know what this movie was. Hell Night. I'd never heard of it before.
1: I've n- I had never heard of it until you posited it for the show. Um, I'm not the type that, you know, needs to know everything there is to know about somebody. So Linda Blair... I'm I'm happy knowing that she was still working, still looking great, still fit, Mm -hmm. still with it, and was in The Exorcist. You know, Mm I've watched The Exorcist and The Heretic over and over. Even The Exorcist 3, even though it's devoid Linda Blair. um, I I could watch that forever, too. Mm -hmm. Very enjoyable. Um, That's about all I knew of her. I did not know about this movie. And looking at the cover, I am shocked. Because if I would have seen this cover, I would have picked it up reading the back. Mm -hmm. Which is all I knew about this film going into it was what the cover looked like and having read the back. Mm Kind of old-fashioned style because this is how it used to be Mm -hmm. when I was younger. You didn't have the, you know, databases available to look up information. And if you didn't know it from someone telling you or reading it in the newspaper or a magazine, I mean, you just didn't know it. So I had no idea. But I can see why Young Wes pounced on this one from the cover alone and the description on the back. Yeah. yeah, And Mary's. Your your slashers, uh, a little hint of Hammer horror, mm-hmm. and those sorority comedies.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's everything I could have wanted and more. I am 100 percent honest with you, could have. Young West probably would have liked some nudity, but it's not ruined because there isn't any. Although it is
1: nudity, well, shirtless men like over like half of the film.
0: It's true, and Seth has a rockin' body. He's a good-looking dude.
1: He's A surfer, I guess. So He's yeah.
0: a surfer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: I think mean, Jeff is far more attractive.
0: Jeff, Jeff, Jeff is cuter. I like that. Uh, I like the, the, the pale skin and the dark hair. And he's got very, very beautiful face. think He's a very good looking man.
1: And you sort of got that, you know, um, not a Ken and Barbie, but is there like a counterpart to Ken that has dark hair?
0: Oh, there must be. But Ken I just don't. Ken and Sven? I don't know. Uh, Ken and Sven, maybe. Yeah. I know that Ken Ken always just came in a variety of uh, races and, and hair tones and stuff like that. But he he didn't get like... A cool a brother. Or you know, a pal. You know, that, yeah, there's no Skipper. There's no Courtney. There's no, yeah. or maybe there is, and I just don't know. But yeah, we
1: don't know enough about it. But it was nice to have that. You know, if I were a uh, 15 year old Lydia, I'd be like, oh, you got two choices here. You got dark hair, uh, tall, dark, and handsome, and you got built surfer blonde Kendall type fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the women look exactly the same. All blonde and fit.
0: Well, I mean, Linda Blair like has, still looks like Linda Blair. Yeah, yeah, and
1: all the other women sort of look like her too.
0: What? I think that she looks distinct from the other uh, tall, uh, shapely blonde woman. She has
1: more clothes on.
0: She does. She does.
1: That's one thing I'd like to... There's a couple things through this movie that I'd like to applaud Linda Blair and her character here of Marty. Mm -hmm. Is lots of clothing. Yeah. (laughs) And there's other things. Yeah, I like that she's not scantily clad, although she has a wonderful outfit.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, she looks fantastic. Especially, as I was saying before we went, there are portions of this movie where if you were watching it, you would think that it was a period piece. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I had said uh, with that information that I had a feeling I'm going to be tugged north and south hot and cold during this film because of its campy nature and because of those serious bits that are very cinematic and very spooky, very goth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was. it definitely was. Not unenjoyable. Not great. But not unenjoyable. And I certainly lived for those moments. Those mm-hmm. Hammer Horror-esque moments in this mm. film just made it for me really uh, before we get too deep into it i want to s- extend an, an extra special thank you to thomas for requesting the strangers which was uh, an actually really fun episode so double thanks we forgot to mention who had requested it
0: we did and that's that's our bad sometimes we just get so excited thomas has been with this he has been on the dead air bus for a long time and he he loves to request movies for us and I fucking love it. And if you guys are ever interested in requesting movies, hit me up on Twitter at West Dead That's K N I P E at West Dead on Twitter. Or you can hit us up on SoundCloud or SpottedPictures.net. or Instagram. I'm at dead underscore air83. Anywhere, anywhere that you want anywhere that you listen to the podcast and you can contact us please contact us. I'm always willing to look at films that, uh, because sometimes I never would have thought to do The Strangers. I like that movie. Lydia likes that movie. But I never would have just, I never would have thought, ah, does our audience want us to do The Strangers? And when you look at the numbers, you look at people liking it, and you look at people requesting. Yeah, they do. (laughs) It's
1: true. And looking at the numbers is, is, is a fun thing lately. I mean, we're now on Podbean. So people who listen through Podbean, you can find us on Podbean now, which is fun. Mm-hmm. And iTunes has made some changes for podcast partners. So people like us can look at our analytics for the first time ever. I know. On
0: what a iTunes. F- fucking novel idea. I know.
1: It took them long enough. We've been able to look at our, our stats on SoundCloud and on Stitcher and all these other places like, like normal people. But iTunes has just kept that close to their chest for some reason yeah. that or didn't know how to display it stats or didn't have analytics i don't know but now it's unlocked so with that leave a review on itunes that's how people find it i think we're one like the the second dead air podcast Mm -hmm. in a row but one of the more active of the podcast named dead air podcast we're easier to find
0: mm-hmm. but Look yeah for the little green zombie little
1: green zombie leave a review on itunes and you can also leave requests there uh, our about page on Splatterpictures.net is also a very popular place to leave us notes
0: yeah yeah people like to to message us there and uh we get them all right i i read every single message and i i pay attention to every like so
1: splatterpitchers.net uh is about to become a little more uh exciting isn't it
0: it is becoming a little bit more exciting if you guys have been paying attention to our social media. I recently did a big reveal about the cover page for Teresa. So Chris Begarn worked that up and uh, we're really excited about it. And the pages are coming along great and we are perilously close to announcing an official release date. The only reason why I'm hesitant is because I don't want to over-promise and underdeliver. deliver I don't want to tell you something is coming if we're not 100% sure that we can not only deliver on the day that we promise, which at this point we could, but then we don't want you waiting a long time for an update. So I just want to make sure that we got a nice cushion going. So Because one of the things about this process, a lot of times comic books are divided. You have an inker and you have a letterer and you have a colorist and you have a penciler and then you have a writer, and there's a lot of people doing their own thing, so comics can be whipped out pretty quickly. Chris is penciling, inking, coloring, and lettering. So it is a massive process for him to do the pages, and plus the man has a full-time job. So, And, and of course, he's a perfectionist. He wants to make sure that the pages that we're delivering to you are the best they possibly can be. And I don't want to Force that process because he's doing a fucking lot. The The amount of money it would cost to have one person do all of those things in comics is hundreds of dollars a page. So it's remarkable that. But again, this is his baby, right? This is something that he wanted to do. And so it's not like I'm, like, forcing him or anything like that. But yeah, it
1: cover's looking pretty sweet. So if you're interested, go check out our
0: Twitter. Yeah, yeah, you can see Teresa looking badass. You can see our uh, title. Uh, I was like, more gothic, more gothic. <laughs> it's looking
1: pretty gothic. I like it. I like yeah, it.
0: Yeah, yeah, try to make things. She looks
1: pretty badass.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you like action and teenage hijinks with violence, then, yeah, you're going to like this. Uh, you're going to like this series, I think.
1: It's a neat uh, thing, even though it's not necessarily, um, you know, like it is a highlight that it is a, a woman featured on the cover. It is a woman. It is called Teresa, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we are heralding the beginning of February, which is one of two things, um, mm-hmm. Black History Month and Women in Horror Month. Mm-hmm. And I always sort of like, that's not that I don't care about Women in Horror Month. Every mm-hmm. month is Women in Horror Month. Like mm-hmm. every month is Black History Month. You know, yeah. I, I really, I, 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 it rubs up against me in the wrong way sometimes to put mm-hmm. a label on these things and to only talk about them when they're happening.
0: That's, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: It's, it's neat that Teresa's launching ish around this, this time. And uh, that's part of why we've wanted to do this Linda Blair film, because mm-hmm. it works really well as the, you know, one of the biggest women in horror. She is mm-hmm. one of the biggest women in horror. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call her a Scream Queen by any means. Cause that title, like I've pointed out before is just, tainted it's, yeah it's a weird title and it's a it's an old title and it's you know best reserved for a particular time or it has an, a vision of a specific sort of female actor uh, so I wouldn't call her a scream queen it's just a weird title uh, but horror royalty mm-hmm. or fucking sure mm-hmm. um one of the more heartwarming things that has happened I noticed a lot of pings on my Facebook and I thought oh Wes must have shared the most recent episode of dead air which he had and that's cool and i went and checked that out and and shared it and i'm going to continue sharing that through the weekend like i normally do um but there was a lot of little red dibby-doos on my facebook Mm -hmm. and it was the horror writers association facebook page there was a post about women in horror month and it was direct thank yous to a lot of the women members and volunteers specifically of the horror writers association which I'm a part of and I'm a volunteer taking care of the new releases page and moderating the new releases and writing a column for any members who read the newsletter. I have a column in there and my two bosses, quote unquote, were thanked directly. So I had chimed in to doubly thank them because they're kind of my heroes. I wouldn't have the direction I have in the volunteer position I have without Angel and Kathy, the web mistress and newsletter guardian, as it were. So um, after my thanking them, then people t- in turn thanked me. So it was just really cool to see a lot of people thanking all of us for all the, the things that we do behind the scenes and thanking us for being such exquisite horror writers as we are. So.
0: <laughs> I think that sometimes with these conversations, it's about allowing, first of all, letting people know that they are appreciated. It, it, it's never the wrong time to let someone know that all the work they do, especially if they're volunteer. Um, it's never the wrong time to tell somebody, hey, you're doing a good job and we really fucking appreciate it. I can't do this without you. And and, and also the the fact that sometimes these jobs can make it seem as though, you, you know, when you have like a, a, here, this this woman has directed something or this woman has starred in something or this woman has written this film that we're talking about. Sometimes it's also important to acknowledge the fact that, you know, this woman produced this, this woman was a grip. This woman was a camera operator that, like, and, 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 or these people were operating their craft services or, or these people, you know what I'm saying? Like, and there's all kinds of people to make it seem like, I suppose the less remarkable it would, it seems the more important it is because like, there's so many women that are contributing so much to horror all the time and 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 i i i think that like as as like a as a straight white male my highest and best use in moments like this is to stand back and let women talk for themselves you know what i mean as opposed to being like oh, i got the cure that ails you and i and let me tell you why this is important and and that kind of shit so uh yeah it's it's really cool and i hadn't thought about the the Teresa thing uh potentially being a february release i hadn't It was just, you know, when things... It just
1: fits. You know, it just fits to me. And it isn't the sort of thing that people need to think about or need to earmark February specifically for. So that's sort of what we're getting at with with that. Like, uh, women, I think, are just really good at at constantly thanking one another. We do let one another know that we appreciate one another. But I guess it's nice to have a specific time when people do go out of the way to remember to thank people maybe. Uh, I had some thank yous from Nelson W. Piles, who is the librarian, the voice of the librarian on the Wicked Library, who I've worked with um, numerous times. The and Funny guy. Yeah, he's great. And he's a great horror author as well. And I reviewed his recent book, um, Spiders and the Daffodils. And he has a, one of his stories is being adapted to film, which is exciting, like unbelievably exciting to any author. And it's being adapted by Rona Walter who not only is a producer and filmmaker and director, she has posted images of behind the scenes uh, while they're working on this film, and she's wielding the camera. She's like, you know, fucking mud up to her elbows in mm-hmm. with this she's not just a sitting back in a chair director by any mm-hmm. means so it's cool to see you're extremely active and i like when you said women cop- camera operators that's been like a holy grail for me in a way because when people talk about women in horror month it's like you're not talking about who has the coolest cleavage or who's the mouthiest woman or who's the sassiest or who has the most snark <laughs> which mm-hmm. seems to be a magnet for a lot of people uh, when it comes to talking about women in horror, they, they are drawn to these sirens, as it were. But it's the women that are really working behind the scenes that are undersung,
0: mm-hmm. re-
1: like, drastically. I'd never met a woman camera operator. I've mm-hmm. maybe seen one or two photos in my life of a woman with a camera or a woman with a steady cam. Like, it was just fucking cool to see Rona with all this gear and doing... The things that directors filmmakers producers do you know it mm-hmm. was fucking awesome so of course nelson had a lot of thank yous for her and a lot of the other women that he's worked with in horror which is awesome
0: yeah that is really really cool
1: yeah so i'm blabbing about women in horror
0: month so. i know and and i know like, it, like to you i don't know it, it's kind of like when you hear morgan freeman talk about he's like i don't need black history month mm-hmm. and, and and all that kind of stuff i i i i totally get that perspective it's like how there's people in the gay community that I don't want to parade. I don't want to parade. It, it, it's 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 not necessary. And so, like, the, these are discussions that are important to have about, is this necessary? Is it not necessary? But I'll tell you what I do, like, a lot about it, is it gives me an opportunity to just keep... People are more... They're talking about horror, and if they're talking about women, women in horror, that's fucking great. You know, I I somebody was like, what's your favorite horror film that was written, directed, or or what, produced by a woman. And I was like, I fucking got one. That's all three. Here's Summer Party Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> fucking love that movie. And it's good. It's good. Yeah. So yeah.
1: There's lots of them. We'll have another one coming up with our next pick. But anyway.
0: What is this fucking movie even about anyways, Lydia?
1: It is about the tragedy of having old money and a new generation that just doesn't know what to do with it. And Possibly, you know, the isolation that that sort of money can can thrust upon a family and how, you know, they're trying time after time to produce an heir because I feel that's what they thought they were meant to do with their lives and all they were meant to do with their lives. Although they're having, you know, deformities and, you know, simple minded children that weren't being given a proper schooling, probably not a proper diet. Not the proper treatment, especially if they have developmental delays. You know, it's a a heart-wrenching story of a family gone awry due to lack of care and lack of knowledge and the ignorance that old money has
0: produced. Wow. Artful. Fucking, you're sitting here purple-prosing at me. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't find
1: anything particularly purple about that Um, parable. But, yeah, uh, I like the mansion. And I think it reminds me a little bit of Usher's Passing, having all these people sort of cloistered in a mansion and having some sort of dastardly shit go down that ends all of their lives. But then when you look at the legacy, it's like, ooh, it's the fault of the legacy.
0: Hmm. Well, I can tell you what it's really probably the fault of. These Scooby-Doo motherfuckers and their stupid fucking like Pee Wee's Playhouse nonsense that they've got hooked up into this damn mansion.
1: It is Pee Wee's Playhouse nonsense and it reminds me a lot of like Adam's family in a way because of just all the trap doors and like shenanigans, pranks and like what the fuck. Uh, There isn't enough of the ghost story to me because it is kind of like a ghost story. It starts Mm -hmm. out with a ghost story but it's all based on this legacy that happened in the ancient, ancient time of 12 years ago.
0: Twelve years ago. 12 years ago. There, there's also there's also something to be said about the fact that there are inconsistencies in this campfire story. It really, truly is a campfire story, and we don't know how much of this is bullshit. Part of the theatricality that these frat fuckers are up to, and what is legitimately a story that can be trusted. So we are introduced to our cast of characters and we got ourselves Jeff and Marty and Seth, not Wes, Denise, and we're going to meet them at this party and they're going to, their pledges for this frat house. The, the deal is, is they got to go spend a, a night at this mansion. And it sounds like a Scooby-Doo plot where it's like, we got to go spend the night in this spooky mansion so I can get these millions of dollars. But old Mr. Chesterfield, who owns the fair across the way, wants the money for himself.
1: That's exactly what it sounds like. So all these, um, you know, college people that I complain so heartily about are basically next door to this awesome mansion. And mm-hmm. it is an awesome setup. I can see how tantalizing that would be. All mm-hmm. you got to do is spend the night in this mansion that happens to be next door. It's super convenient. No one goes there. We have the run of the land around here. The cops aren't going to fucking do anything. We can get in and out of this place. We've been in and out of this place for years. It's wired for sound. Yeah. I'm not even kidding.
0: Holy shit, are you not... When, the, when our fucking... It looks like a spaceman. He, uh, Peter is orchestrating this whole thing, telling his tale... He's telling a very sad story about this family that lived in this house.
1: Bruno Garth had lived in this house since childhood. He was the fourth, I think, in the Garth legacy. And they'd been living there for these generations. And he married a girl named Lillian, who was dumb. Dumb as a post. And wasn't good for much, but bearing children, apparently. Um, now... Peter tells it in a much more fantastic way. I would love to see this guy give a haunted walk tour because I don't mind the haunted walk tour people, but they need a little bit more Peter. Oh yeah, that's he's not even he's, a sex he's, he's
0: he's working the cape. It's all oh, part of it, great. right?
1: Great, and yeah, he does a really good delivery of the story. So yeah, like they had one child who ended up being deformed, and you know they they had a hard time raising that child, but they thought they'd try for another. So they ended up having a, a girl, Suzanne, who was had a limp leg and was simple-minded as well. None of these children talked, and they were quite feral and would grunt like animals, apparently. So they decided to try again and had another daughter, Margaret, who had similar problems. Mm-hmm. And then they had yet another child, the fourth child, Andrew, who never spoke a word. So, like, they, they kept having these, like, bunk- children Mm -hmm. and they didn't say but i think they said without saying that there might have been some sort of incest or something going on or there's something deeper wrong with lillian than just being not bright because Mm -hmm. that was the only information we were given in this ghost story um i guess the patriarch of the family raymond garth had had enough of this shit and killed his whole family one night he uh bashed the head of marth in his oldest son with a poker And then ran through Suzanne with that same poker. Cut the throat of Margaret Andrew. He apparently did survive, Andrew, the youngest of all the children. But when the cops showed up, they found three bodies. Yeah. Only three. They didn't say which three. So we're left in the dark entirely. And that was where we're saying the inconsistencies in this ghost story.
0: Yeah. It seems like something that probably could have happened But in order to goose the story, to make it scarier, to bring that theatricality to it, he's just embellishing and and exaggerating certain things. You can't, it's not, you can't trust it. You can't even trust him to really, you can't trust him for anything. And you'll find this out because he'll tell you that this house has no electricity, that has no gas, it has, it's, it's practically a relic. And the whole, what he won't tell you is that they've rigged up, complicated booby traps everywhere
1: booby traps theatrics there's tunnels under the house they seem to know every nook and cranny of it they're up on the roof they're underneath they're on the side they're in the hedges they they're like, fucking
0: they have like maglocks on the fucking doors and shit like that they have
1: maglocks on the doors and they have spooky two-way mirrors in the bathrooms like what <laughs> the
0: fuck it's impossible
1: it's impossible but maybe not because they have been this fraternity for years this guy seems to have been there for a while because the police know him very well he could have been in and out of here all of his life so yeah he's got the place pretty much rigged up but it also this is where i start to be like what the fuck fraternity bull crap garbage shit am i in for because this looks just like they're making weird little gomez adams jokes that aren't that funny and it's coming across as almost comedic and it's coming across as just like a teen romp, not as a horror at all
0: at this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. And I was, when we were watching it together, I know you well enough, and listeners, I know Lydia well enough that I can pretty much tell what's going to bother her or what's not going to engage you immediately. And I definitely thought, yeah, yeah, when I, re- when I got the Blu-ray, because Scream Factory released this version of the film... And I hadn't seen it in fucking years, and I, you know, my VHS player is a little tr- is a little uh, wonky these days. It's not always reliable. I'm afraid to put tapes I really like into it because I'm afraid it'll eat the tape. So watching it again on Blu-ray, it looks great. But also, I was like, oh yeah, it takes a while to get the thing.
1: Yeah, because like when they're reading, like Peter's leading this raucous cavalcade of drunk teenagers. Uh, Cross the road, I guess, in yeah. all their cars.
0: Yeah. Um, Riding on top of them with torches like it's fucking Mad Max or something. Fucking
1: crazy and noisy and stupid. And then he shoots the lock off the gate. <laughs> <What> the fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. So I was just quivering because it's yeah. just that not for me. But then it quickly did get for me when they had candelabras. That's all, yeah. it, needs. That's all it takes. I'm easy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh, petticoats
1: and candelabras.
0: Yeah. And, and once you enter this house just the opulence all of those ca- uh, all of those candles the way that marty and jeff are dressed mm-hmm. fucking fit perfectly yeah perfectly with the aesthetic and the way that this film is shot in my opinion is beautiful considering how forgive me for saying amateurish the beginning seems once you get into the house, it really seems that you think, okay, this is what the director cared about. This is what they're here to film.
1: It was the music that really sold me on top of all that, too. That Dan Wyman, who had also worked with John Carpenter on, like, The Fog and Halloween and things like that, and Escape mm-hmm. from New York. Um,
0: Got a novelty song.
1: It does have a novelty song right at the beginning, which sort of perks up that just heinous <laughs> frat party. But... I, I really enjoyed the sound design of this film. And mm. there's, like, full songs. I'd love to hear a soundtrack of this when they're chasing through the tunnels later on and yeah. through the hedges and stuff. It just fucking awesome. Quasi-industrial electronica straight out of any horror film. Like, I really, really enjoyed the sound on this. So the sound, the filming, the lighting, the candles, mm-hmm. the costuming. I mean, you, you do have, like, it is a costume party. They didn't mean to create a period piece but they through design and accident end up with linda blair as marty and a soap star uh peter barton who was also in a friday the 13th he's in the final chapter yeah as jeff dressed like throwbacks from a hammer horror film mm-hmm. then you have the other two seth and denise thank you seth and denise dressed as a, a flapper in robin hood like just random characters so they don't really match they don't go together you have this couple in jeff and marty that are just beautiful and fit into the opulence of this like you were saying like it's wonderful it's a wonderful treat and it's a wonderful twist
0: mm-hmm. it, it, it's a very interesting way and what i liked about this movie when i was younger and and what i really appreciate about it now when i when i got this movie when i was younger i really liked the the, the towards the ending i liked you know the the family killing these people and and i thought that it was pretty funny you know when i was younger I, and stuff like that but when i got a little bit older what I loved was how it really becomes a kitchen sink of a lot of different kinds of horror. And they seem to get away with it by making it a costume party. So you can make it seem like a period piece in some scenes. You're going to shoot it like it's a period piece. You're going to think that when you're looking at this uh, film, it's the 1800s. And then all of a sudden you get your, your... terror train you get your fun house you get your frat party horror then you have elements of hills have eyes yeah you have underground cave tunnels you have cadavers that have been there for years and years there's there's so many different things going on and and i really appreciate that i'm not wild about linda blair's performance
1: no because like with all of that bouncing around from theme to theme and feel to feel it works the music works because they don't devolve into like in the town that dreaded sundown where they have like comedy hits in the music when the comedic sheriffs are doing comedic things and losing his keys they don't devolve to that point and put in like yakety sacks when the people are doing their fucking pranks outside you know they don't do that they still keep horror beats even with that change of tone so that's how it works and you have someone like peter barton as jeff with his pretty impeccable delivery like not only being just like a wonderful looking man yeah very he's attractive. Got a very good delivery because when he is channeling his inner peter cushing and you know holding the candelabra down the scary hallway investigating the noise and sees the horror and shrinks back and protects the girl you know he does all of that very well as far as being a dude bro frat guy or Mm -hmm. playing the little lord Fauntleroy, which he does bounce around between all those three roles with ease Mm -hmm. and believability Mm -hmm. linda blair on the other hand
0: there's something about her performance we were talking about it i was almost liking likening it to the male lead in uh, rabid, who he just seems stunned through the whole fucking movie.
1: You likened him to a cardboard cutout. I and did. This is where Linda Blair is like flirting with cardboard cutout territory for the bulk of her performance.
0: The biggest, the biggest thing about actors is actors make choices, and their choices are to contribute to the illusion that there is truth in the lie. They are telling you things written in a script and you're supposed to deliver them as if you are not reading them or memorizing them from a script. That is acting 101. Linda Blair as Marty, and I think this is a good character. And I think they gave her enough to do. And I think she has a very well fleshed out background. She's got interesting, I like that she's- a
1: lot of stuff about Marty I love.
0: Yeah. yeah, But she, Linda just can't seem to fucking get her lines out fast enough. She is motoring out every one of her lines, including asides where it would seem that she was waiting for a natural pause to think. But instead, she just talks right through them. The pace is relentless and it is monotone. It is not, frankly... Doing the script justice. We were talking about the strangers and Liv Tyler not having enough to do, and the script that she was trying to hoist onto her fucking shoulders isn't always that great. And it seemed odd that such a a, a a talented actor had to do some of those shitty lines and try to make them sing, and that would have been a magic trick for anybody. Linda Blair, on the other hand, in this particular role, I'm not saying in every role, but I'm saying in this particular role, just. Like, the the script is elevated. It's way better than it fucking ought to be.
1: Oh, yeah, it is a very good script, and her character's written really, really well. Her character's fleshy.
0: I don't buy a single fucking moment. No. Not until the end, and even then, I'm wondering if it's just because there's no other better actors surrounding her at that point.
1: Partially, although I think that she was more suited for and sold on her character by the, that point. Yeah. Because... She does do very, very well. But all the actors who we weren't that cozy with, mm-hmm. like like Seth, the surfer, we weren't that cozy with him. And he seemed to really like get comfortable with his character later on, as we did, and mm. as their characters change. As Linda Blair's character changes a little bit from uh, kind of haughty, kind of overly proud, mm-hmm.
0: feminist,
1: strong-willed, asexual... She changes from that to being a little more tender and fucking terrified because they're all terrified Mm -hmm. with very good reason. Um, But I really do like the little things about her character that she's not a fucking horny teenager. Mm -hmm. She's not a big drinker. She's, you know, just going through this because it seems like the thing to do to fit in when it seems apparent that she's never really fit in because going through high school, she was a mechanic working in her dad's shop, which I think is an amazing little character tidbit.
0: I like it a lot. That's
1: one of the only things, the only lines she seemed to enjoy delivering.
0: Yeah, and if you listen to Linda Blair in interviews, the interviews that come on this Blu-ray, she liked that aspect of that character quite a bit too, and and, and it makes that moment towards the end with the car sing because you're like, oh, right, she's a fucking mechanic. She knows how to fix the classic horror cliché. Of a car that won't start, she's a mechanic.
1: Which is beautiful. It actually is. And those are the things about this film that, like, I wish it was more popular because it does have all these really awesome things. But, you know, aside, there's Linda Blair's delivery, which isn't stellar. It could have elevated this film to a certain degree. They could have done away with a lot more of the hokey hijinks, dude bro bullshit. Because it's semi-interesting that they're pulling all these pranks, mm-hmm. but they didn't need to make it so comedic. And I think that those two things are the biggest downfalls.
0: I think so, too. I think that when, first of all, they, they uh, May, the other blonde that's part of the frat boy, Scott, Scott is like the poindexter technical genius, that looks like. He looks like a rainy. Yeah, he looks like, <laughs> which is your new pejorative slang term for non-traditionally handsome, nerdy guys. Yes. Uh, which I dig. I'm, in, I'm here for it. I, I like saying a man is Ramiish and, and And she throws away the line is, if you guys tried at your schoolwork as much as you try at pranking, you'd be all graduating with honors by now. It seems like they really like to prank. And I don't really understand people like that, but holy shit. One of the things that I do dig about these pranks, and to give you an idea about what they are, they have wired this entire building for sound so they can play you cassette tapes, of of just like spooky Halloween sounds like hundred
1: oh. house albums.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically. That you could it'd be funny if, if during the screams it just like flips over and now it's playing Monster Mash or something and they're like, oh shit, no, we had to change the tape. But what I like about it is it scares them for oh about five seconds before they discover because like any rational human beings are like, what's that sound? You didn't scream, I didn't scream. Who's screaming? Well, the place is fucking wired. We found yeah, the speaker. speaker.
1: And now they're like, everything that does happen, to a certain point, they can be like, quit fucking with us.
0: It's not funny, guys. Yeah, yeah. Typical horror movies. It, it is typical horror movies. And you have this, this, these funny moments. And you got startled a couple of bit by this fucking dollar store bullshit that they're fucking...
1: They had a a snake in a can for crying out loud. (laughs) A snake (laughs) in a fucking can. I've never been scared of a snake in a can in my life.
0: It's so good, though, because... So the, the the attitude that these, uh, that uh, Seth and Denise, who have been all over each other, just grinding in their underwear for pretty much the entirety of the movie thus far. And they seem to be like the annoying sexed couple that is distracted by lovemaking. Because
1: all he cares about, he's a surfer, all he cares, and he admits as much, is screwing and drinking and surfing. That's all he cares about. Um, She is an
0: Australian
1: exchange student, and all she cares about is Quaaludes.
0: Yeah, she loves... And Jack Daniels. Yeah, she likes Quaaludes and, and like and a Coke little... Coke and Pod. Coke Pod. Yeah, she's a party girl and she's got a little radio in her cleavage, so that helps. Which not,
1: is the weirdest thing. But yeah, she's yeah, radio yeah. in her cleavage. You heard him, right?
0: Yeah, she's not a robot or anything. It just sits right in there. And, and so these are our characters. And so when we're at this point, yeah, I, especially now I've gotten older, I'm like, yeah, I don't dig this too much. However, it will change rather fast as first the our, our outside tormentors are going to get it first because... As these people are walking around and May is just like this, I don't know, she's kind of like a blonde throwaway character in a cheetah outfit.
1: I called her Jungle Jane in my notes.
0: Jungle Jane. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Maybe she is supposed to be Jane.
1: I think she's supposed to be Jane. I didn't see a Tarzan, but whatever. I yeah. also didn't see the me Marion.
0: So Yeah, that's true. Uh, so uh, Scott brings out some exposition about how you got to be careful. There's, there's tunnels all underneath this place. Which The two glaring issues with this film in terms of plot, to me, are why are the killings starting now? They've been coming to this house for years, so it can't be a simple matter of trespassing unless it is just, we are fed up every year. You're
1: trespassing. Like,
0: the first couple of—so what I dig about that explanation is that would mean that these people still living in this house, because there are still people living in this house, are not inherently violent people— They're just fucking sick of it. Every goddamn year, you people break into our fucking house. You have put crappy skeletons and stickers all over the place. And you're playing your stupid screams. I'm trying to sleep. so And and we're done. We're done. We're going to get rid of you.
1: They have no way to convey that. There's no way to communicate that to the audience. That could very well be the reason. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like a legacy thing. It's 12 years. What happens every 12 years? Nothing. Yeah. And it's not every 13 years, which is cool and spooky. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not like 100 years, which yeah. is ominous.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's supernatural. Mm-hmm. But And the second thing is if these boys have explored the place as much as they claim to have, I find it difficult to believe that they had at no point discovered the dining room in the caves. I, no,
1: it's true. You're t- you're exactly right.
0: So though but I mean th- that doesn't ruin anything for me. That's picky ass shit, but I mean, you know, when you're talking about this movie, it's difficult to ignore those types of things.
1: It's the the pitfalls that make it less popular.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um so when the May finally gets sucked under, we're treated to a nice little kill you can tell that it's definitely been cut for content, but like...
1: Yeah, a little de- decapitation. Like, I know Scream Factory had a notice at the beginning that they have restored everything that they fucking could. Mm-hmm. The things that were missing from the 35-mil print, they restored from the last release. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of fun to see the, the change in quality as you're watching it. But there's very few scenes missing, and this isn't even one of them. So I don't, I don't know if it was cutting room floor or never shot, if they're trying to keep it PG at the time.
0: Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. The, the movie is a little violent, but not excessively so. You know, There's...
1: the blood till about 40 minutes in. Yeah,
0: and, and that's like a straight-up fucking Jason Voorhees kill, yeah. that, which I really like because when Scott gets it, it's the old, it's the classic. And, and I love the way that they're treating our killers in this film because we don't see, we just see dirty hands. And, and so to me, it it shows a lot, even more restraint than than Hill's. Or anything like that and it right? definitely
1: does have some hillbilly horror aspects to it with mm-hmm. the dirty hands and the way that the people are are dressed mm-hmm. and when when you forget that there is a college town surrounding this mansion yeah you can really get sucked into the idea that they are secluded mm-hmm. and it gives it this gothic sensibility a gothic hillbilly horror kind of feel to it mm-hmm. which i really enjoy
0: Yeah, and meanwhile, when everyone's getting spooked by things, I mean, they're seeing everything. That ghost, let me ask you this. Is that... Is that a spirit that dwells in this house, or was that like a Scooby-Doo hologram? It was a
1: Scooby-Doo hologram. It's a
0: Scooby-Doo hologram. That's what I thought
1: they were going to redo, because when they because they have control boxes, guys, with toggle switches and <laughs> little, not even LED lights. Those are bulb lights, yeah, for crying right? out loud. They have little control boxes, like you're flying a model airplane in the 70s or some shit, that control the mag locks on the doors, that probably control, you know, this. Flying bats on fucking fishing line. Like, it's this <laughs> stupid shit. But yeah, that ghost was definitely 100% a fucking hologram. Probably used a similar trick to the double sided mirror where he's standing beh- behind a double sided mirror with a mask on. And when someone looks in the mirror, if you turn on a flashlight on your side, the hidden side, then their, your scary face is projected as their reflection.
0: It's a very simple little tricks. It's as impressive as it is lame as I was saying to you while we were watching yeah. for a, pranksters that have that have done wiring they're like electricians they're engineers like yeah. they're fucking making all this stuff and then it's like and here's my shitty gorilla mask here's my snakes in a can here's my crappy fucking halloween shop Spooky skeleton.
1: And what they're they're hedging on that they have sufficiently scared these people to the point that
0: those things will still work. And 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 I dig the idea that it's just frustrating them more than scaring them. They're just getting annoyed because it's like that classic thing in horror when you've made me jump at a jump scare, you've startled me, you haven't scared me. No, it's a
1: cheap shot, and I know it, and you you do know it. Yeah, you do know it, but. Nah.
0: They don't even know that May's dead, though. And by the way, Scott, Nerdlinger himself, dressed as a pirate, is going to get his head straight up twisted around 180 degrees.
1: Yeah, which is a nice kill.
0: It's a nice kill. kill, It happens on
1: the roof. May's underneath the house. Mm -hmm. No wonder no one knows they're dead.
0: Mm -hmm. And any screaming that they would hear would just be attributed to more bullshit that Peter's cooked up.
1: Yep. Which is nice. So Peter's sort of running around, still trying to work his knobs and jiggle his switches and <laughs> scare everybody because he's a mastermind fear.
0: He's so into it. Fucking weirdo. But once he realizes that everyone's kind of gone and he goes up to the roof looking for his boy and then finds that his friend is dead. I like that scene where he's basically d- d- turning the crank. And it's like that scene in Jaws with fucking Quint like bringing in the shark because it's so slow and methodic and, and it's a, a big shot of the line and that clicking sound. It's like it's weird to me. I was like, that has to be on purpose. But anyways... He takes off. He's almost like, you know, fuck the people that are
1: living in the house. Oh my God. You know, yeah. I'm just going to get out of here. So he runs for the gate to save his own ass because he realizes something has gone dreadfully wrong. It's beyond an accident mm-hmm.
0: at this point. Now, this entire property is completely enclosed by... A, a, very high wall, but also a very treacherous iron gate and iron fence. It's difficult to climb. You'd have to have, like... You'd have to know how to climb something like that. And then the top is razor. And then it's this heavy chain. It's all... It's a flim-flam artist, right? Like, this heavy chain and breaking the lock with a gun to indicate, Oh, we haven't been here. And it's all bullshit. Even though
1: he has a key. Yeah, he has a key to this lock.
0: He has a key, but don't worry, because he's going to get pulled away by one of our friends. But see... We're not entirely sure about what's going on. We seem to get the indication that there's more than one person in this household. There seems to be somebody very tall, very strong, and there seems to see someone someone else in a blue jumpsuit that's just constantly sort of scampering around the ground.
1: It's the scamperer that scares me the most.
0: He's very quiet, and he seems to be everywhere. Yeah, Everywhere you want to be. And plus, there's these great shots of him in silhouette where you see him sort of Ape-like, almost. Yeah,
1: yeah. Which is doubly terrifying to me.
0: Then when old Peter gets a scythe right to the chest, that's a good fucking shot.
1: Which starts a little more of this hillbilly horror feel because there's a pitchfork later on. There
0: is a pitchfork. And it's like, (laughs) these are the only weapons. One of the things that I find interesting when you are dealing with deformed, inbred families, they always seem to think... They're always nigh indestructible. Why is it that... Normal s- things can't kill them, but the, the second farm boy tough asshole. They, oh Jesus! Fucking corn-fed kids that yep. just can't be fucking taken down.
1: That's exactly unless it.
0: you use farm equipment. That's yeah. what they're weak against,
1: <laughs> and it's also what they're going to use against you. And exactly. you have absolutely you have no fortitude against it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Pitchfork. It, yeah, it's like they have a plus ten if they're using a pitchfork.
1: It's true. It's very true.
0: Now. When everyone on the exterior is gone, it seems like it's now time to clean a house. But they're not literally going to clean house because that place is filthy.
1: It is filthy. I can't imagine how they're tucking into bed with mm-hmm. so much dust. We had a good conversation about how much dust and how impossible it would be to sleep. One couple is fucking naked because they've been, like you said, grinding in their underwear all this time. Because mm-hmm. it is somewhat PG. And they are under the bed covers and stuff in mm-hmm. these filthy old beds which is just fucked up to me linda blair on the other hand a woman after my own heart the linda blair have a heart foundation mm-hmm. as it is um she's taking a dust cover off of a bed and she's going to lay on top of the bedding in her clothes mm-hmm. but still the amount of dust in those pillows the amount of rat feces like oh i couldn't imagine
0: yeah and, and especially when you got your face right close to those pillows that that stale smell yeah that you would be i wouldn't be able to sleep like Definitely. it would be, it would be too much for me.
1: The the drunk quaalude fucking sex fiends, I guess, have have partied themselves into a tizzy and have, are tuckered out now.
0: It's true. We'll sleep
1: on the floor if they had to. So I guess this is okay for them. But uh, Linda Blair and her friend Jeff are just gonna hang out and talk
0: in his and her beds.
1: Yep, in his. They don't even push them together.
0: No, and not only do they not push them together, but they're fucking far apart. It's like a meter and a half between yeah. those beds.
1: Yeah, Aussie and Harriet.
0: Yeah, and and
1: well, they 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 don't know what's going on, right? They don't. They're not privy to these dead people. And Linda Blair's character even says, "Well, if they're not screaming and we're not screaming, and we figured out that look like, we we disabled the speaker, so we shouldn't be able to hear fake screaming. How come I just heard a scream?"
0: Jeff proposes that there's probably speakers all over the house, which is, by the way, not unlikely. Yeah. And it would be good enough for me. To be honest, honest with you, I can't even watch this film from the perspective of like, I would be more worried. I wouldn't be more worried. If someone told me that I was going to some place and I've, the, the second I saw that I realized that the place was wired and it was all just traps for spooking me, I wouldn't fucking acknowledge anything that was happening. So I would be easily convinced that nothing is wrong. And I would just go to sleep. Now, I'm a heavy sleeper, so I would have just slept until I died, I guess. But like, which by the way... Denise will also do. Denise, our our beautiful flapper girl with the intoxicating, enchanting accent, and the quaaludes, which also intoxicate. She and enchant and enchant. She um cannot be. She cannot be scared. She cannot be riled. We know this because Peter's stupid two-way mirror trick doesn't work because she's so hopped up on shit.
1: Yeah, she sees the deformed face in the mirror and says, wow, those crayons are really messing with my skin. Which yeah. is crazy. But this is like a scene where it reminds me a little of Nosferatu, Nosferatu. Where she's in bed yeah. alone.
0: And standing over Nosferatu or uh, 1931's Frankenstein when Frankenstein's in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that type of stuff. Like, and I think that's very deliberate. Again, you have her... I mean, she's she's dressed as a flapper girl, so she kind of looks like she's from the 20s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's lingerie at this point, but still, it has that older Old aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here's this lingering uh, guy wearing a, a dirty, tattered black suit, not unlike Frankenstein's monster. Mm-hmm. Or, like you were saying, Nosferatu.
1: The shadow falling over her face. Yeah. It struck me as very Nosferatu at this point. And the fact that she's laying in this old boudoir style bed with all these um, velvet pillows around her. And it does speak to a much older era. Very interesting point in this film, because this is where, you know, you can't get scared until you see in a body at this point. Because, like you said, there's no other reason for them to become scared. But this is where our four pledges become scared with real reason.
0: That's true, because when... Seth gets back into bed. He discovers a head. Not Denise's, though. May's.
1: May's head. Which is crazy because he comes running out and he's like, she's dead. She's dead. And they're like, who's dead? And she's like, he's like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Some girl.
1: Some girl. It's not the girl he was in bed with. And she is not missing.
0: And this is not a point in which these characters are going to just run aimlessly around the house. They are to get me the fuck out of the front door. Now, Peter, when he was alive, gave them a pistol and said, if you guys need out, the only way out is to shoot... This door, this uh, chain open. Well, it's full of fucking blanks, so the gun is useless. Yeah, I mean, it's still a gun. You could probably hit somebody pretty fucking hard with it. Pistol whipping hurts, but
1: you can't break a chain with
0: it. No, you can't break a chain with it. And this is the uh, a scene that I do like quite a bit. Uh, it does go on a little long, but it it is basically where Seth, with all of his might, climbs over the iron fence while marty tries she doesn't really have the strength can't really get in there can't really she's get also up.
1: wearing a giant gown with petticoats yeah. from here to fucking kalamazoo so i don't know how what she thought she was going to do when she got to the top of this fence which has already been described as something that will slice your balls mm-hmm. so i mean she would have her balls sliced open let mm-hmm. alone her petticoats she wouldn't mm-hmm. get tangled up and she'd be a mess by the time she hit the top yeah. so she should have taken her petticoats off wink wink yeah it does go on a little long I, I don't know what it's really supposed to prove. Seth is a, a man of action, as you as Seth you put it. Seth is a man of action. action. Is a
0: man of action.
1: So Seth does get over the wall. This is also a really cool song.
0: This is uh, where Seth really transforms into one of my least favorite characters. Anytime that I'm watching horror, in it and it's a slasher, the sexed up hyper. Characters that you just think to yourself, these guys are just here to fucking die before the second reel of the film has even really started. They're just to get killed so we can watch Linda Blair and her sensitive, good-looking boyfriend that she really... Not even boyfriend. The person that she basically just chastely kisses once. And they snuggle together in bed. We're going to watch them run around the house for a little while while they discover their friends' bodies. But not Seth. Seth literally gets away. And he is going to get help and he's going to come back for them. And you think, oh, okay, so he's going to go around the corner and then someone's going to grab him from the bushes and kill him so help will never come. Uh-uh. Seth fucking goes back to the the frat house and tries to get help. There's nobody there. Sees a car doing fucking donuts in the parking lot. They won't help him because everyone's so drunk and partied that they won't do anything. And so he goes to the fucking police station cops won't fucking believe a word he's saying because they're cops in a horror movie but more than that it is hell night it is Devil's Night. They are frustrated with this fucking fraternity and every fraternity.
1: Yeah, he's like, what, are you from Alpha Sigma Rho? Yeah, you can tell that Peter guy that we don't want to see his face. If we see one more, you all frat pledges in here. Yeah. They're and just it, like assholes about it all. It,
0: it's not exactly Keystone Cops. It's not exactly that. It's, it's not Lazy like, Cops. It's Lazy Cops. It's not an I spit situation. It is basically a fucking... Or Last House situation. It is a fucking idiotic lazy cop situation fucking Seth pulls out the most unexpected but badass thing ever he fucking like unsupervised no cop is paying attention to this person who ran in bleeding dirty saying that people are getting killed they tell him to fuck off he goes to the evidence room which he, just he has...
1: happens to walk past the evidence room. It's not even that he's like, that's it, I'm going to grab a gun and take care of this shit myself. Yeah. He walks past the evidence room and notices, and but there's a table full of fucking guns and ammo. And ammo. And I... a window conveniently right there that he can just scoop up a shotgun. He's already told a story about buying a shotgun and threatening people with a shotgun when he was young and fun, but so he knows how to handle a shotgun. And he knows how to load it. So he grabs a bunch of shells. Loads a fucking shotgun and makes his way out the window, presumably back to the mansion.
0: And, and I fucking love this so much because I, I think that when you see him freak out, you could easily think, oh okay, I know this trope. This is the the cool, sexed up guy who when the chips are down, he freaks out, abandons his lady, abandons everything, like doesn't only cares about self-preservation, only cares about himself. And so you think, and so you, you're like, yeah, okay, fine. I've seen that a million times in a horror movie. And so I don't think two fucking things of it. This fucking guy d- d- is good to his word, to the point in which I, I, I get a little offended when we cut back to the house. And it's a really fucking great scene, by the way. Yeah, Ma- where Marty and Jeff, Jeff in particular says, Seth isn't coming back to help us. And if he, because if he was going to help us, he'd be here already. Mm -hmm. So they basically just think that Seth has abandoned them. And they don't know that this guy is, like, robbing police, hijacks a car, and is driving back to them with a fucking loaded gun because no one will help him. So he's like, I'm going to fucking go and help them. I'm like, what a fucking dude. This guy's a hero. I love this. I fucking love this so much. But there's a scene that happens that I think you love. Which one? Well, let me tell you. It was a scene where you said, what's happening? That's creepy. That's creepy. When they're in the bedroom, oh yes, and all of a sudden you see
1: out. At first, you'd think it's Linda Blair, like because they're they're tuckered out now, and they're talking about they'd already had a conversation about kind of creepy stuff or way Mm -hmm. earlier. Linda Blair had asked Jeff if he believed in ghosts.
0: Well, you know, she saw she saw witch ones, (laughs) she
1: saw witch ones, and he says that he saw an elf. And it is like a spooky conversation, which is ridiculous. We laughed our asses off because like, A, witches exist and he he probably saw a short person.
0: Yeah, he was like, (laughs) it was three feet tall and he had a beard and he had a red cap. What would you call that? And I was like a, a short man, a short, a short man with a beard, a
1: short man and witches exist. I mean, yeah. you saw which ones. What is that supposed to mean? Yeah. Uh, describe this witch you saw. Was she flying on a broom over the moon?
0: Yeah. Does she have like the, the, the does she have the bent nose? Is she like the witch on those Halloween decorations? All doll witches? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, or is this a woman that's older with a black outfit on and she says something witchy to you, you know, like blessed be something (laughs) heinous curse like what the fuck Linda Blair but so you know we we have this uh, this idea and this vision we're getting into this gothic hammer horror look right now because they're in the bedroom they're scared Mm -hmm. there's candles everywhere they're talking about what has been going on and I think at this point, Jeff has discovered bodies that he hasn't told Linda Blair about yet. Yeah, he, so, he, he
0: explored the grounds with that pitchfork that he found.
1: Yeah. So they're holed up in the room, waiting for sunrise, basically mm-hmm. scared. What We start to see some motion behind them. A carpet is moving. And at first I thought it was her hand. So this is a very expertly shot scene because all of a sudden rising from the floor. We see the figure of a man underneath of a carpet. And yeah. you're confused as a viewer as to is this a corporeal person that has somehow found their way into the room? Is this another prankster we weren't we didn't we weren't aware of? Or is this a ghost? A good good good, good ghost.
0: A good 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 ghost. That's right, Scooby. It could be because it is a flat carpet lying on the floor. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, silently. Not a fucking word or sound. It just rises and you start to see the shape of a very large man. And they turn it around. That would be fucking terrifying. That would be to fucking
1: me. terrifying, especially in the situation they're in. But that would be terrifying. If we turned around and there was a carpet man standing in the middle of the room here, I'd be pretty freaked out. Oh, man. So Jeff is also a man of action and a man of pitchforks. And he pitchforks this. this figure as hard as he can. He's like, go fuck
0: yourself. And he fucking gets him. And then kind of lamely, that person falls over. And you think, oh, he's going in for the double tap. That fucking person's gone. Gone. There's a trap door into the room. And then it really becomes scary because you start realizing that not only is this place a place that you're unfamiliar with and everyone that did know it inside and out who probably love the fact that there was trap doors everywhere and secret passages and all this kind of shit, are all dead and they can't help you and you can't get out and it's just the two of you and you're armed with a pitchfork. You don't even really know how many people are fucking after you or really what kind of people are after you. You realize that for all you know, every room in this house is not safe. There is a way into every room into this sing- this house from this underground layer So Jeff decides to take the fight to them. He's not going to wait around. For them to come back and kill them.
1: Which freaks the hell out of Marty. Mm-hmm. She wants to just stay there, just stay safe. And I'm thinking, you know, you could barricade that. But how do you know there isn't another entrance into that room? Yeah. What's going to happen mm-hmm. at sunlight? No, no one's coming to help you so far. Mm-hmm. So what What do you think is going to happen? You're going to stay there and wake up dead. That's what's going to happen. So they travel into the tunnels.
0: The tunnels. With a candelabra. Oh, yeah. And... This is a really interesting part of this film because this is where we get, a, a, again, a completely different aesthetic. And now you're thinking that this could be The Hills Have Eyes. This could be, they could be in the desert, the, a, a nuclear wasteland right now.
1: This could be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This, could, this could, be, could be Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, Or this could be the catacombs or underground tunnels underneath of house of thousand I was purposes. just going to say yeah like this is genuinely scary
0: mhm I love this idea of these catacombs existing underneath this house I love this idea of them not really being certain this is the only pass that I give for not being able to find that the dining room let's say is there so many twists and turns it is feasible that they didn't want to monkey around there too much because they were maybe worried that they themselves would literally get lost in that place and not be able to find their way out. Yeah,
1: the hedges up on, on ground level are on a labyrinth and so are these tunnels underneath. And what's interesting is that there's about the same amount of light. There is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, so mm-hmm. to speak. And there's light here and there from the hedge maze up above ground. Uh, so I do like these two feels that are going on in this film when that, when people are running around and being chased around the hedge maze or when people are running around and being chased around these tunnels. And mm-hmm. they do become not just exploring these tunnels for a way out and finding this creepy dining room, mm-hmm. very Texas Chainsaw. They begin to be chased.
0: Yeah. And, and when they're in this dining room, what you have is this old table. It looks as though and I would assume that the remaining missing bodies of the five, because there was two bodies in there. So three plus two is five. And then Denise's body. We we don't see Denise get killed, although she's dead. I don't know what earned her a seat at the table. Maybe because she's pretty.
1: Well, maybe Grandpa.
0: Maybe and... Grandpa was going to kill her you never know but but uh, but it still
1: makes no math sense because if there's two dead bodies there Mm -hmm. and there's two bodies alive and chasing Mm -hmm. people around the mansion that's Mm -hmm. four people Mm -hmm. and they the cops originally found three bodies Mm -hmm. 12 years ago Mm -hmm. that's eight people Mm -hmm. the garth mansion contained the garth parents two Mm -hmm. people and four children Mm -hmm. that's six So I still, like, I can't account for all the the people in the bodies. But whatever, it's not math time, it's horror time.
0: (laughs) But the chase scene is quite good. I love the camera work in these scenes. It's very claustrophobic. It's very difficult to see which directions the characters are coming and going from. You have a, a sense of urgency because it seems like the camera shots behind them are a POV of this person chasing them.
1: Seems to be there's almost like an industrial drum going on in the background, Mm -hmm. let alone the typical water phone and the Mm high-pitched horror sounds and the startling piano.
0: Mm -hmm. It's very, very good. Meanwhile, our boy Seth, has fucking gotten back here. And this is where Seth becomes the fucking billy badass of them all. Because not only does he find an alternative way into the place, and he finds that because when he drives up to the place, he sees that blue jumpsuit motherfucker scamper in front of his car. How is this person consistently getting in and out of the property? There must be a way in.
1: Yeah, but not through the gate. Gate's yeah. still locked.
0: Ah, but there's a fucking, in the, in, the, in the wrought iron gate, there's a fucking bend in it. There's a broken fucking piece. And so that's how Seth gets in. And then it's him amongst the grounds versus this guy. And it's a pretty good struggle, but he shoots him. He shoots him twice and fucking kills one of them. Now, to Seth's knowledge, that is it. It was one guy. Why would he think there would be more than one? Well, there was, unfortunately for him. And and this is where I'm like, eh, that sucks. But just because I had grown to... I went from... I wouldn't say hating this character, but not liking this character, like having no use for him. And 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 just thinking, meh, that's a character that is here to die. Um and and then him having a really interesting arc where he's randomly way more heroic than I would have given him credit for, randomly like, that sh- that story of him grabbing a gun and-, and scaring off people that were fucking with him was not a bullshit story. This isn't like The Strangers where I went hunting with my dad. Yeah, exactly. That was a life. It's
1: the opposite of that entirely. Yeah. Although we're so- sort of ripped off, not only is he ripped off of his life, we're ripped off of really seeing his end because he sort of just gets... Oh, it's weird. fucking
0: shadows. Oh, it's fucking weird. It's like the gong show. It's like he got hit by the hook and just like, you're out of the movie now. Because all of a sudden he's just saying, I killed him. I got him. And when they had run away and they're back in the house and they're all uh, talking in the uh, foyer of this mansion, it's just a hand just comes out, pulls him. You, a gunshot goes off and then the gun just gets tossed out into the hallway.
1: Yeah. That's all we get to see of it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really a shame it's it's not my favorite moment because you don't get to see a body. You never really get to see what happens. Maybe he lived. I don't know. But <laughs> I doubt it.
1: I highly doubt it, too.
0: And at this point, uh, Peter is... And at this point, Jeff has twisted his ankle quite badly in the struggle with the, the other... Uh, Andrew, I believe it is.
1: Yeah, the tall one the, of the, the, the two. Not the scamperer. We're not really sure who the scamperer is. We have a theory, but...
0: We have a theory, but I, I, I don't know if any of it's substantiated. Now, when Marty wants to go and grab the gun, this scene, this is one of those times where I feel like the scene could be a lot shorter. I understand that she's scared, but she really is inching as slow as I've ever seen anyone inch towards a gun ever. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this fucking guy just like flies out, has no real interest in the gun. He doesn't need it. And gives chase. Now they go back to the bedroom where they had that, crack security system Oh, the
1: the barricade the impenetrable barricade the
0: little the little chair they have under the door is fucking embarrassing and i think because i've seen this movie so many times when they're talking about the fact earlier that just put the chair against the door it's going to be fine when they actually have this guy on the other side of the door he goes through that fucking door like it is made of fucking pop tarts it just doesn't
1: matter yeah but he he doesn't even need an axe there's no here's johnny he just punches his way through the door, basically. (laughs) So it's useless. And they're panicking. Linda Blair's trying to get out the window. They're both going to scramble out the window. Easy, you know? They can get away from this guy.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, Well, one problem. Uh, (laughs) Jeff doesn't get away.
1: I know, and I wanted so badly for someone to kick this guy in the head because he's grabbed people. That's his mo. That's what he does. He grabs people. Yeah, he's a grabber. So he's grabbing at Jeff, and I really wanted Jeff to kick him in, in the chest, kick him in the face, or something. But he's not so lucky because he gets overtaken. While Linda Blair scrambles away up the side of the house onto the roof, where who do we leave last on the roof? Scott. Scott, right? Scott was, Scott was just the last person.
0: Out. Yeah, hanging out. You might hanging say. H- hanging Just hanging around. I've
1: been waiting for someone to find this body. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they do find his body, um, and also the, the shitty Halloween Mr. Nobody that's just been sitting up on that roof.
1: Which I'm surprised Linda Blair just walks past. <laughs> like yeah, it's, this, it's weird because... She's it, used to dead bodies by this point.
0: Yeah, she's like, well, I don't care about that. It's so fucking weird, though. The, the, Jeff's line when he's getting pulled, initially he's like, go, Marty, go. And then when <laughs> this guy's got his mitts on him, he's like calling back to her, Marty! And and to me, it, it kind of reminds me of, of just like, oh, I'm I'm too tired. You guys go on, and carry me with you. It's like that. He's like, he's like, go go, Marty. He's like, no, Marty. I meant take me with you. Help me. God damn it! I changed my mind. I don't
1: know. I didn't get that either. I think he just he was just expressing, you know, what what could have been. Like we both agreed, they would have made a really cute little couple. Well, you know what? He quite got chased.
0: Yeah, he, he got to smoocher, which is good because at least he can think of those warm, soft lips on his perilous trip down to the fountain. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. He, He's a good screamer. Him he and screamer.
1: Seth. Seth has the... Um um girl scream because when he screams and Marty says I think that was Seth I had to say or his sister because he had <laughs> the best girl scream ever now there is our scream queen he
0: like he really screamed and but uh Jeff's scream as he gets hucked out that window just pitched right the fuck Out that window is very believable. Very believable. They did
1: a good job with
0: that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Being thrown, what, three stories or something? Yeah. Yeah. They did a very good job with that.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, when Marty finally... Good thing that fucking rope ladder's there. That rope ladder's gotten a lot of use in this fucking movie. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone who's been... Like, Peter uses it. Scott uses it. Marty uses it. And not once did someone
1: say, why is that rope ladder there? Did you guys put that rope ladder? I wish they would have just, like... You know, said something, not that I needed it. Just
0: toss the line out. Yeah,
1: but there's a couple instances of that, of like, how did you guys find all these places? Like, how this, how that, how many bodies? What's more of the story here? Why is there a rope ladder there? I suspect it came with the house, that it was a surface ladder that was attached to the house to begin with. Or did they bring the rope ladder? I don't know. I shouldn't care about the rope ladder. But the fact that all these hijinks start with having to climb a
0: rope ladder
1: is just insane to me. But it certainly helps Marty escape.
0: It really, really does. Now, this is where she is almost like a Friday the 13th movie, where she's running around, gets down to the ground level. Oh, there's Jeff. There's his body. And he's suitably dead. And then we find one of the other uh, Garth family members who... Do you think it's the dad?
1: We think it's the dad because he's older. But he's also misshapen, so he could be the firstborn. He could. It's hard to say. Andrew can't be that old, but...
0: Andrew doesn't look that old. He looks like he might be in his 30s to me. The
1: story must have been missing something or we missed something in the story where mm-hmm. Andrew, the last born, must have been a lot older when 12 years ago when Mr. Garth killed his entire family. So, Or like everyone but two of them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not really sure.
0: And, and also, uh, Peter is an unreliable storyteller. We don't know how much of that... Was newspaper clippings, and then he just filled in the rest to make it as fantastic as possible, right? We just don't know.
1: Yeah, that's true. But at this point, Marty is doing her body discovery tour of the grounds, and has found the key to the front gate, which is great.
0: Mm -hmm. Has to wrench it out of uh, Peter's cold, dead hands.
1: Yeah, they wouldn't be so cold and dead by that point. He'd still be livid, so...
0: You think so? I don't know how fast rig- rigor mortis uh, sets in. I know you do. Like I, just, eight to I just 12 hours. Yeah. So
1: the body wouldn't like.
0: Do you think he's been? Like you think he's been maybe dead for like three hours?
1: Nah, not even. He's an unreliable narrator. But yeah, so whatever. She, he has. She has. Maybe he has a death grip. Sometimes your muscles can clench, so maybe that's it. I'm just I, I, I too guess picky.
0: Getting a like a a, a a picky scythe going through your chest, it uh, might cause you to clench. Although he did drop that flashlight. He did. All right. You know what? It doesn't matter.
1: Now she's armed with a flashlight and the keys.
0: She, yeah, and she is going to get out the front gate. And this is probably where I like her character the most. Listen, I, I know I I rode Linda Blair pretty hard on on this, like for her performance and stuff like that. I I think it's fine. I just feel as though here's my problem. I like this movie a lot. I think it's very good. And I think that it is so fucking close to being a true hidden gem. But there is just things about it that keep it from really being that.
1: No, it's true. Although this ending isn't it. This ending is really
0: great. It's very great. I fucking love this. I love the, again, this old cliche, the fucking car. Why wouldn't this car start? This was someone's perfectly functioning car a minute ago. Uh, like a a button down businessman, generic proper 80s businessman's car. What are you doing? And robbing him. Seth literally drove that car probably 10 to 15 minutes up the road, parked it safely, and then went into the fucking building. There is nothing to indicate that this car wouldn't start, but it's a horror movie, so the car won't start. Marty gives it a couple of pumps of gas and then instantly... Uh,
1: pops the hood, pops the hood, yeah.
0: Fucking gets that thing going, and I don't know what she does. Something with a fucking spark gets this fucking spark going, or I don't know. It's,
1: it gets the spark going. I love this. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm I think, not a car guy. Yeah, she either had to spark something to kick over the ignition coil, mm-hmm. or there was a loose battery cable.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of there's a I mean there's a couple of possibilities, and she gets the fucking car going, and you think, oh, is there a monster in the back seat? No, no monster in the back seat. Well, she's going to drive away. Credits. There is a fucking deformed gentleman on top of the hood of the car.
1: So he smashes right through the windshield.
0: Oh, yeah. And he's just trying to grab titty. That's all he... He's
1: not trying to grab titties. He's trying to grab her face. He's a face grabber.
0: He is a face grabber, but she happens to be heaving her bosom towards the hands. Well, I didn't really
1: notice that at all. That's all I could pay attention to. Really? All I kept thinking is slam on the brakes, slam on the brakes. Slam on the brakes. So she's driving kind of crazy, trying to shake him off for whatever reason. And she's a pretty good driver for a mechanic, I guess. But I just wish she would have slammed on the brakes a couple times. But it's not working. He's got a really good grip, and he's a big guy. So he can grab from one side of this giant Chevy shark or whatever the fuck it is and to the other. So he's like on there like Velcro um, and she had backed into the gate and knocked it akimbo. So the gate's sort of sitting not upright, like a gate it's sitting like horizontal. Mm-hmm. So those sharp spikes but- from the top of the gate are pointing toward the car and just the right height where if she drove the car under it might just skewer whoever's
0: on top. And that's exactly what she does. She fucking just hits the gas. And fucking skewers that motherfucker. It's a great scene. And even better is after she's done that and she relaxes, she looks like she passes out for a few hours. It's daybreak. And it's this gorgeous shot of you have your villain skewered on top of her car still.
1: And he's bled out. So there's blood all over the, over the
0: car. Oh, yeah. Nice. And there's her just sort of weakly opening the door, getting out of the car. It's a silent performance. There's no more dialogue. And she just, with this haunted expression, is just walking towards the camera. And then we finally get our credit reel. And this is a very strong ending. And I think that for everything that you can kid about Hell Night, and everything that you could want out of Linda Blair's performance that she's not exactly giving you in the first couple of reels of this picture... It's a hell of a note to go out on. And I think that that's why every time I'm done watching this movie, I think to myself, you know what? I fucking like this movie. I like this. This is good.
1: I have to say, I like the end. I, mm. Like, the movie's not great. It was fun. Like, it's not, I don't feel like I've been tortured after mm. watching it. Um, and the, the end is great. The sound is great. It's not like something I want to sit down and watch again i have takeaways thank god i have a memory and i can remember the things i enjoyed about it mm-hmm. the end is cool though the end is is worth watching if you're interested in seeing a performance from linda blair a movie that blends a couple different tones a movie from this particular era it's 1981 some of my favorite people were born in 1981. so like <laughs> if you're interested in that sort of thing if you're you know A horror fan with very particular tastes that don't include this then it's it's uh kind of boring kind of aggravating it's kind of annoying but it's interesting in that scooby-doo 80s horror slasher hammer blend but that end is very cool especially for a final girl never have i heard this included in the annals of fucking final girls Mm -hmm. although this Mm -hmm. is linda blair's like word like classic final girl ending
0: Mm -hmm. it really is you have one of the most recognizable women in horror fuck it you have one of the most recognizable actors in horror and in some in one of the most iconic examples of a subgenre the final girl exists through a lot of subgenres of horror tons of them but is most iconic in a slasher film it and is and
1: it's this is just within that golden age of the birth of the final girl mm-hmm. this isn't a, a 1999 this isn't a 2014 version of that mm-hmm. this is a, one of the original final girls i've never heard her name included so i don't know not that i am a scholar in final girldom mm-hmm. by any means but
0: no nor am i
1: yeah, an interesting film and valuable. So a huge thank you for picking this one.
0: Thank you. I
1: liked seeing Linda Blair, even with the shortcomings in this performance. I liked seeing her outside of Regan.
0: Yeah, it, it's really nice to see an actor that you, you feel you know so well trying to do something different. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of explanations for the performance that she chose to give. And I think that towards the end of the film, she was doing a lot better and and so i don't and i don't think it's dog shit i just think that it's noticeable it's just noticeable and on in the worst cases kind of distracting and and uh, but it will always it will always occupy a space for me of being back at uh, 2614 Alta Vista Drive mm-hmm. and watching horror in my basement and this was a discovery period for me, where I was trying to find things, and I was. Uh, it was different. There was no internet to look up stuff. You had a box, and you had a paragraph description, and that was what you had.
1: That's what I had going into it, and I'm not disappointed considering what is on the cover of the box and the back of the box. I like. I liked mm-hmm. that, and it was. That's all I went into it with. So it's neat that I know even what I know of Linda Blair to make it more interesting. Because it's, it's not Dog shit It's definitely worth a Scream Factory release. That's for sure. Hell yeah. yeah. And
0: I, I was elated to see that they had picked this up. It's, it's such a fucking weird, a weird fucking movie for them to do. Listen, they do obscure films all the time. And I'm sure that with Linda's name attached to it, there's definitely enough of a cachet. What worked in 1981 to try to sell a film is going to work in 2018. But... It, it it really is one of those films that I wish more people at least knew about it. Because I'll tell you this much. There is way worse movies out there that people are way more familiar with.
1: Very, very true. It's not dog shit. And if, if you think it's dog shit, like at least you know it is a well-cared-for dog that has a home, a forever home. And it's a dog that someone isn't going to eat or mistreat. Or it's not from a puppy mill. And if you're interested, you can go to Linda Blair's Have a Heart Foundation And learn all about the mistreatment of animals.
0: That's a nice little segue.
1: Into what we're watching next.
0: Yeah, what are we watching next?
1: We're going to get into something I've wanted to cover for quite some time. I think it fits very, very well in the month of February, which is Beloved with horror icon Scream Queen numero uno Oprah Winfrey.
0: (laughs) Well. She fucking scares me, man. Well, I, I can tell you this much. I'm very interested to see this film. I was aware of it when it came out. I was not aware that it had anything whatsoever to do with horror. I just had no idea.
1: There are people I know that could not finish watching it. There, It stuck with me. There are times when there are creepy people on screen. And I think of Beloved. Uh, how it did it better. It's not a horror film as far as like a white knuckle thrill ride. It's not like... You know, it's not a slasher or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It is uh, a southern gothic ghost story. Basically, sort of, you'll have to see. It. It's supernatural. It's a supernatural drama, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm glad that you haven't seen it. And I'm glad that you didn't know it was a horror film. So watching it with this this neat dead air lens will be super fun.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm... It'll probably be one of those situations that leading up to the movie I'll keep I'll keep being worried and I'll and I'll be really compelled to research when I when I get this feeling of I don't know what I'm gonna say I don't know what I'm gonna say about this movie and then but now I've stopped giving into that fear because even when I tell you literally that after we watch a movie that I don't know what I'm gonna say about it we talk for two and a half fucking hours
1: yeah it's true and that's <laughs> what happened. Uh, today basically <laughs> it's not quite that long but it will be long because i know you'll have a lot to go with the, the the body horror you'll have a lot to go with the supernatural um talking about southern gothics mm-hmm. talking about american gothics i, I mm-hmm. think that we'll have a lot of, of fun dissecting the horror portions of that and who knows it could be a shorter episode because the whole film is not horror mm-hmm. um it is billed as a horror film though so here we go um that'll cover our february and then getting into march march And I am half Irish.
0: Are you really? I am. I didn't know Irish
1: and German. We're going to get into the leprechaun.
0: Leprechaun, which by the... Gang, let me just fucking preface this right now by saying, oh, that's a West pick. Au contraire, mon frere. It was a Lydia suggestion. Yeah. And I instantly said yes. (laughs) And it came
1: down to like, I want us to do the leprechaun. But, Wes, you can pick any Leprechaun movie. And secretly in my head, like, please pick part one. Please not Lep in the Hood. Please
0: pick part one. Uh, Yeah, I would just, like, do Lep in the Hood. No, and and we can talk about all about the the, the fun I've had with the Leprechaun movies Mm -hmm. over the years. Because 90s horror, that's my fucking primordial ooze, Lydia.
1: Uh, It truly is. It truly is. So after that we're going to head into Wishmaster.
0: Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And then magic.
1: Magic. So we're going to get into the the primordial ooze of your primordial ooze as it were. And <laughs> then we're going to try and like get back into our current era yeah, after that. But it's yeah. A,
0: it's been a little too old around here. We need to we need to young it up a bit.
1: Yeah, we'll have to young it up a bit after that dipping into some some primordial ooze of horror as it were. i like that i like that so it'll be a fun february and march anyhow
0: yeah speaking of fun i've we've sucked all the fun out of the fucking room with this one i'm wes Snipe,
1: and i'm typical lydia
0: and you've been listening to dead air